0: Hello and welcome to the Hoover Institution's 2016 Spring Retreat. I'm Chris Dower, Hoover's Director of Marketing and Strategic Communications. Our speaker in this podcast is Herbert Lin, a research fellow at the Hoover Institution. The title of his talk is Punching Back in Cyberspace, The Use of Offensive Cyber Operations as Instruments of U.S. National Policy. And it was recorded on April 19th, 2016. So um, I'm, I'm I'm delighted to to, to be here, um, and, and you know, listening to to the last talk, uh, which you know talked about uh, Republican and Democratic uh, De- Democrat candidates for for, for president, I, w- I was thinking that it would be interesting to see if Democrats and Republicans have a different reaction to what I'm about to say here, and I'm, I'm and certainly you know you you could see Democrats or Republicans having different reactions to some of the things that were said in the, in the last uh, talk, but here I'm not so sure. And one of the really interesting things about uh, cybersecurity and cyber policy is that it's, for me anyway, it's hard to distinguish between a Republican view and a Democrat view of, uh, of, of cyber uh, so maybe if you're interested in that, we can talk about that later. Um, so here's my talk title, and, and so what I wanted to to uh, put up is the a basic premise, which is, is that cyber conflict and cybersecurity they have both a defensive dimension and an offensive dimension. The defensive dimension is how do you protect your computer, or your company's computer, or the nation's computers, uh, and and, and it, it's. Uh, it, it usually involves what we call passive defenses, that is, uh, it usually involves if, you, if you're on your own computer at home, you run an antivirus program on it. Uh, you put in, you use good passwords. Uh, you don't use the word password for password, it turns out that, uh, th- that, that turns out that um, passwords like uh, password and system and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, uh, eight, um, account for about twenty percent of all passwords out there. So that, that, uh, I, I'm just the reporter here, right? Um, uh, true enough. And if that's if that's one of your passwords, please change it. Um, and, and you know, another thing that you do is you write better software that uh, that doesn't that isn't susceptible to uh, a bad guy coming in and, and taking over your uh, your system because there's some flaw in, in in the system that the that wasn't detected uh, when he built the, when the guy wrote the the, the software. Uh, and and so all of these things are good things to, to to be doing. And then there's a you can also call the cops. Uh, there is, for example, a uh, a convention on cybercrime, an international convention on cybercrime, that uh, says that forty of the world's nations who have signed up to it are going to make their laws more or less consistent, so that they can help each other investigate cybercrime and, and and the like. Uh, and you can boost the uh, the cyber capabilities of the FBI. Uh, so, which 20 years ago, that was 1996, um, this is a personal and true story, I received a death threat over the internet. Uh, and, and I called the FBI up and said, you know, I received this death threat over the internet in connection with one of those studies that I was doing. Uh, and and uh, basically, the FBI's reaction in 1996 was, what's the internet? Okay. Um, true story. Okay. I mean, they're very, very good now. Um, they're, they're extraordinary now. And, and uh, I, I deal with a lot of very sharp people at the FBI, but 20 years ago, it was a very different story. So, we, we've gotten better in, in that. But there's another dimension of cyber policy and cyber security that people don't very much talk about. Uh, It's starting to change and I think that's really for the good. Um, uh, It's the offensive dimension. That is, anything that a bad guy can do to you, we can do to a bad guy in cyberspace. Right? So they can hack you, we can hack them. And so then the interesting question is, under what circumstances should the US government, as a deliberate act of national policy, do that to a bad guy? And it can be used for defensive purposes and it can also be used for non-defensive purposes. And I want to talk a little bit about that here. Okay. People need governments need policy to guide how they're going to use uh, offensive capabilities. If you think about it, if the if the objective if the if we were trying to give cops bulletproof vests to protect them against bullets, okay, the policy issues would not be very large. It wouldn't be very controversial. You'd get into questions like, you know, are they too heavy, and can we make sure that they that that they really protect the the, the officer wearing them, and, and and so on. Okay, but if you're going to give cops guns, you have to deal with all sorts of other issues that you would never have to do with bulletproof vests, right? You have to think about doctrine. Under what circumstances do you fire? You have to train them. Yeah. What are the rules of engagement? If you're actually confronted with a, you know, a bad guy in, in, in front of you and he has a gun, can you shoot him? If he has a knife, can you shoot him? If he has a long sword, can, you know, all those kinds of questions. What are you supposed to do? Okay. You need to have command and control. You have to be able to tell the cops when, when you're allowed to, to, to use your, uh, your guns. You have to be able to distinguish between um, a friend and a foe. Right? Sometimes there are undercover cops out there. You don't want to be shooting them. How will you know? Okay, so there, there are those kinds. You have to, there's insurance, right, and liability for mistakes. You know, a cop shoots an innocent person, an innocent bystander, there's hell to pay, okay? And, 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 and there should be, right? The, so we, we worry about all of these things. You, you have to have some policy framework to, to guide this. But the intent behind giving cops guns is not to have them go off and shooting people. We give the cops guns for defensive purposes, right? That's why we give cops guns. Is there every now and then a rogue cop? Sure, but that's, that's not the intent of it. right? Um, but notice, the bad guys don't have to worry about any of these issues. right? The bad guys don't have to worry about insurance, okay, um, or about training, or about doctrine, or any of those things. So it's much more complicated for the good guys to adopt offensive techniques than it is for the bad guys to adopt them. Okay? And so it, th- this really gets a lot more complicated. So I'm going to start off with this question: What is a gun in cyberspace? What, what, what might that mean? Okay, I'm going to use the term cyber weapon. Okay, and, and what this is is just an instrument that's used to create bad effects on somebody's computer, on an adversary's computer. Okay. What can this gun, this cyber weapon, do? Well, it might destroy the data on it. It might erase all your files. It might change the programs that are running on it. So, for example, when you uh, pull up uh, Word or something like that to, to type your, you know, to type your document, in fact, it brings up something that looks like Word, but it isn't exactly Word. It's Word, but it does something else too, okay? That you don't know about, and maybe that's the program that you're really running. Okay? You can render it inaccessible. Maybe some of you have sometimes gone to a website and just taken forever to try to get in. You try to go into it and go into it, and you can't get in. Maybe maybe the site is down but maybe it's because somebody else is conducting what we call in the business a denial of service attack against it. That is, it's denying you the service from the website that you you wanna see. And maybe some bad guy is trying to do that. And the way it's doing that is it's flooding it with all kinds of fake requests for service so so that the server, the computer on the other end, can't ever get to you. It's serving all those fake requests. They can steal data. They can steal your financial information from your personal computer. Or if you're a business, they can steal your trade secrets or they can steal uh, your business plans or your employee lists or your salaries or confidential email or whatever. Um, Or they can harm a device that's attached to the computer. Um, If a generator is attached to a computer, you could cause Serious harm by attacking the computer, not the generator, but the computer, because you cause the, the computer to tell the generator, spin it, you know, spin or, or generate power beyond its rated limits, and the whole business catches fire. Okay? So you don't always, so you can use, this is why you worry about computers being used as devices to get at other more interesting devices that you care about. You really don't care about the computer, you really care about the generator, but you use the computer in, in the middle. As the subject of your attack to get at the generator. Okay? It's important to distinguish in this business between using the cyber weapon for offensive purposes and for defensive purposes. Right? For offensive purposes, if an offensive purpose means you want to change the status quo. You want to somehow disadvantage the adversary, okay? whoever your the, the 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 bad guy is. If you're using it for defensive purposes, you're trying to maintain the status quo. You're trying to protect your own self-interest. And it's interesting to, to distinguish between those two different kinds of uh, uh, applications. How do you use cyber weapons defensively? Well, there are really only three ways of doing it. You can either do it before the guy attacks, while he attacks, or after he attacks. Okay? Um, if it's before he attacks, you have to know that he's about to attack you. Right? And how do you know that somebody is about to attack you In in life. Well, the cops feel, feel, face this problem all the time, right? They're walking along, there's somebody that comes in, there are certain behavioral cues that they look at. i um, like, is he carrying a gun? Okay, May, you know, that might signal a threat, okay? Um, and, 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 you know, is he carrying a long, a big stick, or does he look, you know, does he, uh, does he you know, There are there are clues that you can use. None of those clues are definitive, right? This is very, uh, this is very uncertain. So the cops are in this very funny situation of this guy might be a threat and how do i know right so the same kinds of issues are are here in in cyberspace it's even worse because you can't see the guy who, who all you see is signals coming into your into your computer right so you don't know so is he about to attack well what it means is that you have to be you you have to be listening to him trying to understand what he's about to do and that's of course a very hard thing to do but if you can determine that he's about to attack then maybe you can shut him down before he does that's this you know preemption during the attack what can you do well the attack doesn't usually happen all at once it happens over a period of time and maybe what you can do is at the beginning uh, when you see the attack coming in, you say, aha, there's a whole bunch of computers, I can disable the, the attacking computers. And so I can reduce the, con- the amount of damage that he, uh, that, 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 that he does. Um, and afterwards, you can use offensive operations for two purposes. One, you can retaliate. Okay. It doesn't change the damage that you suffered, but maybe it discourages him from doing it again. Okay, maybe he won't, do it. if, if you, he does something bad to you, you do something really bad to him, maybe you know, he'll say, oh, I learned my lesson, I'm not going to do this again. Right? Or at least that's the, the, the principle of it. And maybe you, you, you hack into systems to find out, or other people's systems to find out whether or not he was the one who did it, in order to, find, to get information, to do forensics, to get evidence that will tell you who was coming after you. Okay, so there, those, are the, those are some of the ways that you can use cyber weapons defensively. How do you know who has hit you, who has come after you? Uh, because if you're going to if you're going to strike back, who's what do you who are you going to strike back against? This is the question of attribution. Okay. And the conventional wisdom uh, is that uh, you can't attribute uh, operation, hostile operations in cyberspace uh, with any high, high confidence, um, and it's hard to mitigate the ongoing harm. Okay, therefore, and it's impossible to punish him. If you don't know who it is, you can't punish him, you can't, stop, you can't stop him from doing anything, so you just have to sit there and take it. That's not a very satisfactory state of affairs. Okay. Um, but fortunately, the conventional wisdom is wrong, or at least it's incomplete. Let me give you an, a, a scenario. A US computer, let's say it's the Department of Defense or something, is attacked in cyberspace. The attack traffic comes from, uh, arrives from a computer that's based in Kansas. Uh, owned by a 78-year-old grandmother. Okay. The computer in Kansas was compromised by using a computer that's located in Greece. George is the person who sat at the keyboard in Greece. He's a citizen of China. He's a member of a Russian organized crime group. The leader of the crime group is a close personal friend of a senior leader in the FSB, and the, 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 the uh, Russian intelligence services who is responsible for the quote responsible for the attack on the u.s computer i don't know the answer to that right and i can tell you that only the steps that the the technical information technical information will only i answer address the first two items in red right that it'll tell you where the it'll tell you the attacking computer the one that's closest to your computer that attacked you and maybe Maybe you can find out that the computer in Kansas was compromised by another computer in Greece. That's what the technical forensics will tell you. But will it tell you that George is there and sitting at the keyboard? Versus Sam? No. Okay. And then this question of, you know, is it the citizenship that matters? Is it the location? Is it Greece that's responsible because he was sitting in Greece? Is it China that's responsible because he's a citizen of China? Is it Russia that's responsible because he's a member of a Russian crime group? And besides, what is his connection to the crime group anyway? None of those are technical questions. Those are all political questions. Those are all policy questions. And the fact, the sad fact of the matter these days is that the nations of the world haven't agreed on whether or not it's citizenship that matters or location that matters or, or, or any of those things. We don't know, because we haven't come to an agreement on that. In general, there are three ways of thinking about attribution. You have to think about, is it the machine that's coming after you, uh, is it the human operator uh, that initiates it, or and, who's the, and the party that's responsible for the actions of the human operator. If you know the machine, you don't necessarily know the person. If you don't know the human being, you don't know the human being. You don't, if you know the human being, you don't necessarily know the, par- the responsible party, the party that's given the orders. Okay? And the appropriate meaning depends on the goal. Okay. You can mitigate the pain. If your goal is to stop the pain as much as possible, as soon as possible, you have to know the machine. You don't, the bulletproof vest doesn't care who fired at you. right? It wants to stop the bullet. That's what you want. You want the bullet to be stopped. You don't care at the moment of stopping the pain, not, not, not being hurt. You don't care who fired it at you. Only afterwards do you care who fired it at you. If your goal is to prosecute or take the actor into custody, you want to know the name of the human being there so you can go after him. If you want to deter future acts or otherwise punish the person, you know, the party, you want to know the guy who set the whole business in motion. If you're thinking about this in a national security context, what we're really concerned is about is we want to attribute P to a state. That's attribute to, to the party that's responsible. Who is ultimately responsible for this? But responsibility itself has many different layers to it. It goes all the way from, it was state prohibited. The state says, no, 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 you shouldn't ever do this. But they have no capability to enforce it. Okay. So it could be against a third party action. So the, the, the government of the Sudan, I'm making this up. The government of Sudan says, hacking is prohibited within our borders. But they don't have any capability to enforce that. They don't have a government. They have a law, they don't have any government, they don't have any law enforcement people, they don't have any cyber people, they can't, they can't go after anybody. That's one level. Okay. State tolerated. It does nothing to stop this third party action. Doesn't care. Doesn't, you know, it says it might be prohibited, but you know, yeah, you know, it's okay. Okay. Maybe there's no law on it, but no big deal. State encouraged. The state provides them with. Intelligence support, operational support, it says, why don't you go after that guy over there? You know, why don't you go after, some country says, why don't you go after the, you know, the computer that's, you know, the Department of Defense computer in Omaha or something. Okay. State directed. The state orders somebody to do it. It's an interesting question. And the state conducted it. it, uses its own military forces to conduct the operation. That's yet an even different uh, level of responsibility. And what, what do we mean by any of this? So I'll give you an interesting statistic, or an, inter- an an interesting fact, which I have yet to find a published report of, but I have heard it from independent sources, so of course it must be true. Okay, If you track the number of cyber attacks coming out of China, a certain Chinese university, a very Technically oriented Chinese university, as a function of time. So you know, some days it goes up, some days it goes down, and and, and so on. And o- over time, you see what you know wh- when the most attacks are coming. What does it correlate with? And the answer is, it correlates with the schedule of final exams. Think about what that might mean, right? I'm a professor of computer science in a Chinese university. I'm teaching a course on network security. I, of course, because I'm in China, I have lots of students right and what a great final exam project go hack an american site i mean i gotta tell you if i were that chinese professor of computer science that's what i would do that would not be an unreasonable thing there are no laws in china that prohibit that and besides now i'm a very i'm a patriotic chinese uh, professor, and you know, it just happens that my brother happens to be a senior minister in the foreign ministry or, or, or the, the Ministry of Defense or something like that, and I just had dinner with him the other day, and it was really, those Americans are really getting to be a pain in the ass. Okay. So you know, and then I don't have to say anything, you know, I don't have to say anything more, that's just friendly dinner conversation. And so I'm thinking, well, okay, what a great final exam, I could, I could assign this. Now is the state responsible? Well, it's not responsible at the bottom level, right? It's not, you know, not using state, it's not using PLA assets, People's Liberation Army assets to conduct the attack. It's not even state directed. He has, it isn't, nobody gave any orders. Was it encouraged? Well, you can, yeah, you could sort of say that. It was implicitly encouraged. Okay. Um, so, at what level is this? Supposed? These are all political questions, okay? Just to illustrate how complicated it all gets. What are some of the information sources for attribution? Well, you get the information about one attack. That's what the, that's what the geeks do. I'm a former geek. I pro- okay, you, you go into the computer and you look at what's inside the computer, what the evidence is left behind, okay? And sometimes the other guy get, makes a mistake. When you look at this information, makes a mistake. So, for example, just a true story here, Somebody will write up a, you know, will write up some attack, you know, an attack, and he'll, he'll, it's, it's a program that he writes. Okay? And you look at the program and you see what character strings are in it, what letters appear, and, and you know, so, some name comes up a, a, as, um, you know, George one two three, or something like that. And now you do a search on George one two three, on the net, and you find out that it's a profile on Match.com and he happens to be located in China. Oh, in Beijing. Hmm. That's an interesting, st- so now you, do, now, you, now you have a possible lead. And in his profile he says, oh, I, I do computer science and I do security. Perfectly reasonable thing to say on a dating profile. Well, maybe that's not a good thing to say. That. Never mind that part. Um, but you you understand what I mean? That the you know now you get a clue, okay? And now you can send him a note from you know somebody pretending to be an attractive woman to say you know maybe I'm interested in which, and and so on. You can see how how you get information like that. Okay? There's a history. Maybe the guy uses techniques that have been seen before. Okay? And. We previously, we identified that North Korea was, had used this particular attack, uh, attack technique, and now we see the same attack technique being used by some unknown party. Well maybe that would, the, the fact that the attack techniques were similar might give you a clue. Is it definitive? No. Not definitive at all. But is it suggestive? Yes. Okay. And sometimes these guys make, uh, have operational security failures. They're talking to each other on an insecure line, they brag. One of the things that in, in, with, with, with hackers is that they love to brag. They love to brag within a closed circle with, among all their friends. But take my word for it. They love to brag because they get technical credit. They, get technical, they, they show their chops by getting into difficult systems. And it's very, 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 very hard to keep yourself from bragging when you've done something that you're really proud of. And they do this, and if you can listen in on that, you get, you get some information. And you know there, there, there are, uh, there's a geopolitical context, okay? If there's tension between the United States and China or Russia, um, then if you see a spike of cyber attacks right after that, well, maybe some of them are coming, it's more likely that some of them are coming from individuals in Russia or China that are interested in being patriotic. We call them patriotic hackers. Okay. There are citizens that want to help. By the way, we have lots of those guys too. So cyber attacks coming out of the United States under such circumstances against China also go up. Okay. So that also happens. Okay. What's really hard, what I hope I'm showing here, is that there are many sources of information you have to pull all this information together. It takes time to do that. What's hard is really hard is prompt attribution. You can't do it in a second. You can't do it in a minute. By the way, that's not like you know, if somebody was to launch a nuclear weapon on you. Right, you know where the missile came from. Okay? You know that it came out of the, 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 the land mass of China or Russia or someplace. Okay? You know that. Okay? And we presume that, that that was an authorized act. Interesting question. What happens if the Russians say, "No, no, that was an off, that was an accident"? Well, if you study nuclear matters and nuclear theory, that, that's something you worry about. Okay, but never mind that for the moment. Okay, we assume that it's coming, that it's something coming out of, of Russia. It can be attributed to Russia, but not so for cyber attacks, because maybe, as I say, maybe the guy's really in China and riding through Russia. Different levels of attribution certainty are needed for different goals. In criminal prosecutions, you've all seen this, this hierarchy of beyond a reasonable doubt, and clear and compelling, and, and, and preponderance at the end, so all those legal words. Okay. They refer to different levels of evidence, of different, different levels of certainty. Um, and you have to convince an impartial jury and a judge. That's the whole point of the, having those different sorts of evidence. In national security making, decision making though, that's very different. Very different way of thinking about it. The standards for taking action are much less formal. There is no such thing as due process. Just the decision has to be reasonable. The evidence must be reasonable. The rights of the accused don't have good analogs in national security making, national national security decision making. There's no good analogs to that. And here, it's we have to convince ourselves and maybe opinion in other nations, the judgments of other nations. It's very, very different. Well, I will give you a story that dates back to the Cuban Missile Crisis. In In the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis, the United States Secretary of State went over to France to ask for French support. And the Secretary of State, Dean Rusk, I think it was, Offered to show President de Gaulle the pictures of the, of the Russian of the Soviet missiles in Cuba. And de Gaulle said, are you telling me that you know you want French support and you're offering to you show me the pictures? And he said, yes. He says, no, I don't need it. If the President of the United States says this is so, I believe it. And you know, tell 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 um, the president that France stands with him. Can you imagine that happening today? Regardless of who the president is, right? Can you imagine just somebody, another nation, just taking our word for you? You don't have to see any evidence? So this question of how you convince yourself that somebody is responsible for something, that, that gets to be a very different uh, ballgame now than it was in, in, in the past. And I want to talk a little bit about this was, all this was, this had to do with attribution and identifying who the bad guy was who was attacking you. Are there other purposes for offensive capabilities, other ways to use them? This is the difference between punching and punching back. Punching back implies that somebody's come after you. That's the defensive part. You're trying to defend yourself. But in fact, punching back is unlikely to work very well. That is, Preemption, going after the guy uh, before he attacks, that means you have to be living on his computers already. That's hard. Automated decision making, that's sort of dangerous. Disrupting his computers coming in uh, requires instantaneous identification of the, the computers that are attacking you. Well, since I've already posited that the way somebody will attack the United States is not through a computer that they own, but through a computer that's owned by a perfectly innocent party by a grandmother in Kansas. So what you're gonna do if you're gonna disrupt the attack on you is you're gonna, you're gonna shut down all of the computers that are, co- that are closest to you. You're gonna be shutting down a lot of grandmothers' computers. Okay. And maybe some grandmother will get upset about that. Okay. Um, so, you know, raises the question of, are, are you allowed to attack back computers that belong to you as citizens? Okay. That's an interesting question. Retaliation, by the way, doesn't have to be in cyberspace. Or against the attacking computers. If you're going to attack after it's all happened, once you can figure out who it is, maybe you can attack something else. It doesn't have to be the attacking computers, it can be something else that the other guy values. Okay? And let's say there's let's say the other guy has tried to steal your information. You can't get it back. First thing they do, they get the information, they copy it. And they put it offline. Right? It's not when they steal information, it's not as though they're stealing a CD-ROM. They're not coming into your office and taking a CD-ROM and leaving with it. It's not that you can get that back. It's they're making a copy of it right there. And you still have your information. Somebody steals your credit card number, you still have your credit card number, right? You still have it. Only now I can use it, but you, can, you still have it. So it's not as though, it, you know, you can't quote, get it back. You have to erase my mind, now, that's hard to do. Okay. But punching, rather than punching back, doesn't require these kinds of tight timelines. It's far less difficult to punch than to punch back, because you, the attribution problem is far less. You already know who, the, if you're going to punch, you, have, you already know who the bad guy is. Um, for example, uh, whoever it was that launched the, the cyber attacks against um, uh, Iran's nuclear uh, enrichment, the uranium enrichment facilities and, and shut down their, their centrifuges, whoever it was, um, they planned it for a very long time. Okay. It is, of course, widely believed that it's the United States and, and, uh, and Israel that, that's behind it. But neither country has formally acknowledged it. Um, but they knew who they were going, whatever it was, they knew who they were going after. Um, and punching in cyberspace is ideally suited for first use. That is, before somebody has attacked you in cyberspace. It's less provocative than dropping bombs. It's plausibly deniable, at least in the short run. That you know, it's no, no, I didn't do it. You, can, you know, and you can just say no. We're, you know, we're, we're not responsible. I mean, by the way, we can do that now, or we've seen that done anyway with ordinary weapons, right? Think about what happens in the Ukraine and the little green men that are there. So the troops, you know, they all speak Russian. They use Russian equipment. They use Russian, you know, they, 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 they're driving Russian tanks and so on, but they don't have Russian flags on them. And Russia just says, no, we're not responsible. They're not, our, it's not ours there. Okay. Look how far they've gotten with that. Well, it's, you know, pretty effective technique. It's plausibly deniable. In that case, it's implausibly deniable, right? But it's yeah. deniable. They denied it. They still got a lot of mileage out of it. Um, And this last comment about the the harm can be decoupled from the mechanism of the action. What that means is is, is that um, I might be able to do things in to to your computer and you'll see the bad effects, but you won't see how I did it. That's possible too. And so that makes it much harder to find the problem. You just know that something's going wrong. So when the centrifuges in, in, in Iran started exploding, everyone knew something was wrong but nobody knew what and if you're working at the state of the art with a, with um, uh, equipment that you don't uh, you know that's very finicky and, 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 and sensitive it's really hard to find I mean, I, I've been there too I've been one of those sci- not in Iran but uh, I, I, I've been a scientist you know w- trying to figure out what a problem was and it's really hard to figure out the problem I, I know the problem exists but I don't know what the source of it is and with uh, cyber, Uh, attacks is particularly easy to do because you didn't think about it the u.s has started to talk more about this subject about about cyber operations offensive cyber operations that's the term of art the dod published the department of defense published a a paper in a document in uh, april of 2015 um one year ago Uh, it was released here at stanford the Secretary of Defense came to Stanford to, to release it and to give a speech on it. Uh, we were very proud of that. Uh, this document is very interesting. It says that offensive operations have a role in instruments of, military, of US military power. You would think that that statement would not be a controversial statement. I assure you it was, okay. because uh, in the past we have not made such a forthright statement. We say that offensive operations will be conducted in accordance with the laws of war. That is, the United States conducts, you know, operates military forces in, in accordance with the laws of war. In the past, what we used to said was, if we conducted oper- cyber operations, they would be conducted in accordance with the laws of war. So there's a difference. We even specified some of the possible targets of our offensive operations. Bad guy command and control networks. Uh, their military-related critical infrastructure, so for example, going after a a missile-making plant or something like that, and their weapons capabilities. So if they have a radar system in an air defense defense system, that becomes a legitimate target for us to shut down. It also says that these operations can be conducted during periods of heightened tension. Periods of heightened tension translates to before the outbreak of hostilities. That means these are our first use option. We want to do this first before doing kinetic operations, before dropping bombs. That, that's, you know, that, that might not be a bad idea, right? Better to send electrons over to the enemy side than soldiers. Okay. Um, and DOD is not, does not seem to be precluded from providing offensive capabilities to the intelligence community, according to this. So if you remember in the operation to take down bin Laden, we saw SEALs there and military helicopters, military equipment, and so on, but it was a CIA operation. CIA doesn't control the SEALs, doesn't have SEALs in it, those helicopters in it and so on under its control. What happened was that we gave, the US the Department of Defense, gave assets to the intelligence community to conduct this operation. That's why uh, the whole business was un- un- under the operational control of this, was under the control of the CIA. It was a CIA operation, but of course it was the SEALs that uh, that actually you know, pulled the trigger. Okay. And you can imagine the cyber com- U.S. Cyber Command, which is the entity within the Department of Defense that is responsible for conducting these operations, as uh, supporting the intelligence community in similar uh, activities. Okay. This comment back here about dual purpose uh, infrastructure, this means that it it raises the possibility that infrastructure might be of dual use. That is of use to both civilians and military. Like electric grids. An electric power grid is useful both to a military base that draws off of it and to the hospital next door. So that's an interesting question. Now we have to think about the benefits or harms caused by going after the electric grid. Unless we can just shut down the part of the electric grid that, that gives electricity to that military base, maybe we have to shut down the whole grid. Then you have to say, well, is, is there a hospital on it? Or if they're not, are there, you know, how many people are using that? And how many of those people are using life support equipment that needs to be uh, attached to the power grid? You know, and so on, those, those kinds of questions. Those become part of the collateral damage you have to worry about. Now that starts to get very complicated. There is a presidential directive, PPD 20, That was uh, uh, revealed um, uh, recently. um, uh, That asks, that tells relevant agencies to start preparing a target list for offensive operations. That's an interesting observation. And it also, this is the uh, the other interesting part about it: specific presidential approval. That is, the president has to approve offensive operations with significant consequences. Where significant consequences are defined as if it causes loss of life, if it causes significant damage to property, uh, and, and so on. Okay? Signi- so the president has to approve the use of overtly offensive operations in cyberspace. There are only two other weapons that I know of that fit into that category, where the president himself has to approve it. It's nuclear weapons and anti-satellite weapons. That's an interesting observation. So in the minds of the US government, Offensive operations are like nuclear weapons and anti-satellite weapons. That's an interesting observation. And whether that's gonna be sustained in the future is not clear. And we have acknowledged, the US has acknowledged cyber operations, uh, use of cyber weapons against ISIS um, in all sorts of interesting ways. So they, you know, so they have used cyber operations to uh, monitor their communications. Uh, they've used them to send fake messages to say, um, hey, you know, why don't you, why don't, we're, we're gonna have a team, we're gonna meet up here, you know, at point X, okay? And people at point X, they gather there and they find, uh, that it's an ambush, okay? Clearly a good thing to be doing, um, but the point here is that we're openly acknowledging our willingness to do this, uh, against ISIS. The, the news stories say that we're conducting an air campaign against ISIS. Carter said to the Department of Defense, I want a cyber operations plan against isis too," And so he got something. And the last thing I wanted to talk about here is just a a reprise of something that I said last time, for those of you who were here last year. um, All of these considerations about using, about using, uh, about punching back in cyberspace apply to private corporations that are hacked too. No, private corporations are not gonna go out and start punching by themselves. That's, no, that's overtly illegal and nobody will want to go down that path. But as a defensive measure, maybe. And that's an interesting question. The private sector victim has limited options. They can do, they can do better passive defense, they can you know, strengthen their firewalls and antivirus systems and so on. They can call the cops, they can investigate uh, further, to see who is hacking them, and, and they can actually attack to, uh, to disrupt the, uh, the penetration. Only the first two of those are legal. And a large part of the policy debate right now is, should either of the last two be legal? That's an interesting question, and nobody knows the answer to that. In fact, because it's a should issue. right now, they, the, the, the last two are illegal, but it's very unlikely that you' be prosecuted. And in fact, when I, I ask this question to some tech guys that I, senior tech guys that I know, you ask them, if you ask them in an open meeting like this and say, you know, have you ever hacked back against anybody? They say, no. What a surprise, right? <laughs> then you go out with them for a beer afterwards, okay. and say, have you ever hacked back? And then they still say, no. But then an interesting thing happens. They look around, their voice drops, and they say but we know people who do, <laughs> okay? That's the evidence, and I leave it to you to decide whether or not you think that something like that is going on, okay? Um, the reality is to, to consider, enhance better passive defense is, is the least controversial, but it's unlikely to be effective because the bad guy will come after you. Um, and besides, by booting up better passive defense, you may, be, you, you may reduce your functionality. Okay, you, you, may cripple, you may prevent somebody else from using your system who should be. And law enforcement takes months to operate, not minutes. Right. So I mean, it's not their fault. That's what they're oriented to do. Okay? So the pain won't stop. Um, and, and besides, if you call the cops, they say get in line, right? because everybody's being attacked. So you know, the question is, if we're willing to do this for DOD assets, why not for non-DOD assets? Why shouldn't we encourage self-help? And I think the answer is nobody. Th- this is an active topic of research, and I'm working on it, and I know other people who are working on it. Um, and with that, I'm happy to answer questions or to entertain discussion. For more podcasts from the Hoover Institution, please visit hoover.org or Hoover's channels on iTunes, iTunes U stitcher and soundcloud i'm chris dower for the hoover institution thanks for listening